Imagine deciding who would be your next business partner based on the flip of a coin, or deciding which car to buy based on the roll of the dice. Need to find out if someone has been lying to you? Play a quick game of any meeny miny mo. Yeah, that ought to do the trick. To say someone's guilt can be based on the draw of a hat, or a major life decision should be taken up to the odds of a coin toss, would seem to be bordering on frivolity. By far one of, if not the furthest thing from a rational idea one could have. Many Christians would argue, I'm sure, that such decisions should be taken to God in prayer first. Some might even argue that the idea of a game of luck deciding one's fate would be passing into the realm of witchcraft, allowing the devil to decide one's outcome. Even the name Claromancy just sounds a bit too wicked for most of us. But despite our discomfort with this idea, the fact is that Claromancy is at the core of some of the most major decisions in Christian history. From the Jewish council to the apostles themselves, they all used cleromancy to decide God's will. In the Bible, this practice took on quite a few forms, but the one we know best I'm sure will ring a bell. It was a few small sticks, stones, or other material tossed on the ground and read based on their height or color. These practices are best known to us simply as casting lots. This is Itinerant, Biblical History Beyond the Bible, presented by The Reckless Pursuit, and I'm Cody Johnston. So what's the deal with this claromancy? Is it witchcraft? Is it superstition? Can God really speak through random events? The answer might just be a bit more uncomfortable than we'd like to accept, because honestly, the answer to all of those questions might just be yes. Claromancy, that is, the divination practice in which an outcome is determined by means that normally would be considered random, has been used in civilizations all over the world. Some of the oldest records we have of claromancy being practiced was with turtle shells. We would read the lines on the backs of turtles to foretell omens of things that have happened and things to come. In Eastern Asia, the practice of using two bones of an ox to predict the outcome of an event has been recorded as far back as 2000 BC in the Shang Dynasty. Likewise, the Xing Dynasty had a much more complex system. It contained 64 hexagrams laid out with intersecting solid and broken lines, adorned with separate commentary to judge the yin or yang that is good or bad of a situation. In West Africa, practitioners of the Yoruba religion had their own sortition methods, called Ifa divination. The practitioners of Yoruba would take the oil and kernels from a palm tree or crushed termite mounds and mash them together, back and forth from one palm of the hand to the other, and as they would, cracks and lines would begin to form in the paste and were then viewed and interpreted. 
Each line was assigned a binary code with up to 256 different possible outcomes, which could be translated into a reference number where the Yoruba people would consult a book containing allegories in the form of song to help overcome the trial at hand. Think of it as finding a passage in the Bible or a hymn in the hymnal, but instead of a pastor or music director telling you where to look, it's palm tree oil or crushed clay and termite spit. Not flattering, but it did the job, I suppose. But to me, the most interesting forms of claromancy can be found right within the very Bible we know so well. One of my biggest pet peeves within the Christian community is our blatant obsession with doors. No, not the wooden things that divide your home from the rest of the world. I mean the idea that God is sitting around waiting to open specific doors at specific times. And if you aren't ever watchful, you'll miss his plan. We obsess over whether God is telling us to do this or do that. The slightest shift in life leaves us wavering like a palm tree in a hurricane. We have become so obsessed with getting in touch with the Holy Spirit that we have become out of touch with him despite our frivolous efforts. Humanity has a fear of commitment, or rather, the regret that comes from committing to something and finding out we missed something much better. And Christians of all people seem to have this the worst. Call it spiritual FOMO, if you will. The idea of stepping out of beat with God scares us into a place of stagnation. Like deer in the headlights of a fast-moving car, we stop dead in our tracks as an infinite list of possible outcomes whiz through our mind. Yet here we are, not acting on a single one of them. The Hebrews knew this condition of the human mind all too well. As a society rich in documented history, they had plenty of examples of missed opportunity to drive them forward. So what system could be used to bypass man's constant overthinking and get right to the point? Well, what better way than luck? Or, in the eyes of the Jews, God's decision through what seemed to be a game of chance. The first account of claromancy we come to in the Bible is that of the Urim and Tumim. The Urim and Tumim were elements contained on the Hoshan that is, the breastplate worn by the high priest. We see this first in Exodus 28. The Urim and Tumim are stones, one white and the other black. These stones were used by the priest to judge someone innocent or guilty. The accuser would face the high priest and vocalize their question towards the stones out loud in a simplistic way that could garner a straight yes or no answer. Then. The high priest would reach into his bag and at random draw out a stone. If the stone were white, God had found them innocent. But if the stone were black, God had seen their sin and found them to be guilty. These stones were the trial judge and jury of the Old Testament. To us, it might seem a bit extreme to cast judgment on someone based only on the accusation and a rock. But to the Jews, those rocks were taking the weight off of mankind to figure out God's plan 
and taking the decision and placing it directly back in his hands. There's no denying a black and white answer when it's looking you in the face. There are no redraws or miscommunications. It's basically Schrodinger's cat before Schrodinger ever had a cat, and it did what they needed it to do, to remove man's opinions from the equation. The Urim and Tumim were actively used until the Babylonian exile recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It is said that the Jews awaited the return of those sacred stones of decision, but they never actually showed back up. Plus, prophetic movements were on the rise, and though originally the Urim and Tumim were supposed to be present during a prophecy, my guess would be to add validity or dismiss the prophecy at hand, I suppose God grew tired of man asking the wrong questions and decided to use a mouthpiece instead of glorified marbles. I mean, sure, even the rocks will cry out, but why make rocks talk when humans innately have that ability? Though rocks are probably easier to work with. I digress. Whatever the reason may be, the stones of God's judgment slipped out of mainstream Jewish practices. But just because we did away with the Urim and Tumim doesn't mean we did away with Cleromancy. No, divination by objects in the practice of sortition has roots that spread far and wide, from Old Testament to New Testament, even into the modern church. In the book of Numbers, chapter 26, Moses divided the lands to create the twelve tribes of Israel. In accordance with being fair, he used lots to decide which groups received which land. In the story of Jonah, lots were cast on the raging sea to decide which person had angered God and caused the storm to rage against them. Spoiler alert, it was Jonah. The book of proverbial wisdom states that though the lots may be cast into the lap, every decision they make is directly from Yahweh. The casting of lots is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament, giving validity to the idea that random objects can, in fact, be used by God to dictate the outcomes of man. Of course, most Western mindset Christians get uncomfortable when we start talking about anything spooky, and I do think this classifies as spooky. I mean, come on, sticks and rocks deciding land divisions and guilt? Not your everyday run-of-the-mill events. And many would dismiss such practices as an Old Testament practice that has no place within God's people today. But the truth is, it was casting lots that helped decide who would help spread the gospel in the first place. The most famous instance of casting lots happens in the first chapter of the book of Acts. After Judas hanged himself for betraying Jesus, the disciples were looking for a replacement to take his place. To derail for just a second, 12 is a very significant number in not just biblical history, but in religious history altogether. More on that in episodes to come. Now, the remaining disciples were faced with a problem. They had two men deemed worthy of discipleship. So how does one decide between two outcomes without interjecting one's own opinion? You guessed it, they cast lots. We know that God chose Matthias over Barsabbas, side note, poor Barsabbas, and just like that, their circle was complete. 
Many argue that the idea of casting lots is a dead practice. That God did away with its validity the day the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. Though Acts is the last account of lots being used in the New Testament, that does not mean that the idea has died. Many Orthodox churches still use lot casting to decide their priests and popes. The Amish regularly decide who their preachers will be by lots. The Pietist Christians have used lots to elect bishops, decide missionaries, and even where to plant churches. To say lots have died is to ignore our history altogether. And while I know many people would find this practice to be, well, frowned upon, I think you might all be surprised to realize most of us have in fact practiced claromancy maybe more frequently than we'd like to admit. The German pietists I just mentioned are in fact a branch of Lutheran Protestants who dedicate their life to piety. Piety is that practice of living a pure devotion to spirituality and the Christian ways of life. I know, I know, what does German radical Christianity have anything to do with claromancy other than some church plants? Well. You might be surprised to learn that if you have ever been involved in an evangelical Protestant church, you have closer ties with German pietism than you may realize. When German immigrants came over in the early 1900s, they brought with them the idea of pietism and its practices. These ideals of living a pure Christian life birthed the Lutheran Church, and ultimately the Church of Christ but their ways of faith reached outside of just their Lutheran walls. Insert John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist Church and arguably the most famous in Christian history. Influenced heavily by many of the pietist leaders, Wesley incorporated many of their traditions into the Methodist doctrine as cornerstones of belief. These beliefs can be traced throughout the Holiness Movement, which spans numerous denominations including the Methodists, Church of Christ, Nazarenes, Free Will Baptists, and even into the Salvation Army. You might be asking yourself what German piety, Lutherans, and the modern-day church might have in common. Well, the very same German pietists that we just finished talking about the ones that influenced so much of the way we believe, practiced a form of claromancy that might just make you feel a bit uncomfortable. No, not uncomfortable in the same way talking about Satanism or demonic activity might make us feel. No, this is the kind of uncomfortable that comes from realizing that you too are part of the very thing in which you are hearing about. Kind of like hearing your name called in a list of people about to get reprimanded for doing a bad job at work. You see, the German pietists would often use claromancy to foretell what God had for them in a specific moment. How? By opening their Bible at random, 
placing their finger on a verse and reading it out loud. Sound familiar? And here we are, thinking the practice of casting lots died out with the birth of the New Testament church. But hey, who are we to say God can't speak through sticks and stones? Thank you for listening to this episode of Itinerant. If you enjoy the show, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and share it on with a friend. Word of mouth is a powerful thing and your recommendation is much appreciated. You can find out more about me and the show at itinerantpodcast.com. I co-host another podcast called The Reckless Pursuit. The Reckless Pursuit is a show dedicated to providing a safe place for Christians to ask unsafe questions. If you need a community of people where you can talk about your questions safely, we might just be your tribe. No matter your current church status or even religious views, all questions are welcome to help us grow and lay down our spiritual baggage. So if you feel like a spiritual nomad, we invite you to stop and rest. The journey is long, but the beauty lies within it. And until next time, keep searching. You never know what mysteries lie ahead.